last 90 days or so, one of the most frequent questions I've gotten from therapists across the country is, what do I think is going to happen? I have to say, nobody really knows what is going to happen, but we do have to see how we can move forward from that. No one can predict the future. And as Thomas Hobbes once wrote, the best prophet is really the best guesser. However, therapists like everybody else in times of upheaval need assurances and some degree of what I've come to call pandemic positivity. So today I just want to give some of my thoughts and ideas about what I think may happen, even though I don't really know. I will say that I began consulting with therapists the day after 9-11, and that's because I lived downtown and still do, and saw the immediate impact that the uh, terrorist attack on the World Trade Centers had on the 14 practices downtown. So I base some of what I'm about to talk about on my experiences with that, although obviously there are many, many differences. The one thing I do know is that in general, therapists are problem solvers and we are adapters. That's part of, it's inherent in our DNA and part of what we're trained to do. The other thing is, is that we are used to living with uncertainty, not our own uncertainty, but the uncertainty of our patients. When our patients come to us, they have uncertainty. Am I going to get better? Is my husband going to get better? Is my father going to recover from a stroke? Is my baby going to get better? Is my baby going to walk? Is my baby going to talk? So we know what uncertainty feels like through an empathetic lens, but now we're just dealing with it ourselves. And it's, it's an uncomfortable place to be. There's no doubt about it. And the, the other thing that I think that's unusual about this situation is that we're adapting to it while we're still going through it. You know, usually we adapt to something and think about it after the fact. But now we're really learning on our feet as, as we go through it. And, and that can be hard. And I, you know, I, I really acknowledge that. And I certainly don't want to um, belittle it. It is an uncomfortable time and an uncertain time for all of us. But the one thing I do realize is that the post-COVID future does not exist yet and only will exist after we have made it. And on some level, that's a, a bit of an empowering statement and I hope a bit of, it, of a comfort because you'll be able to create your own post-COVID future to some extent by controlling what it is that you can. I've discussed this before in other webinars and things like that, that I, I feel that a crisis does expose certain things. And that's why I continually go back to a business tool called the SWOT analysis. And it's a very simple acronym, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And during a pandemic, we are, it's a very good lens to use because it really spells things out. What are our strengths that have been revealed? What weaknesses have been revealed? What op opportunities have been exposed? And what threats are there? There's no doubt, and I know all of you know this already, that, the, that COVID has exposed certain vulnerabilities. And I hope a lot of therapists are using this time 
to look at their vulnerabilities and be thankful in some sense that they've been exposed because usually they can be corrected. So what I want to focus on now is really just discussing a little bit more of the pandemic positivities of this whole situation, assuming that everyone is looking at their weaknesses and what they can do about it. But let's think about our strengths and really how to protect these strengths. The most imp important strength that all of us have is really the intangible goodwill that you've created over the years. And that a pandemic cannot erase. So the relationships you've built, and obviously if you've been in practice for two years, that's very different than if you've been in practice for 20 years. So the goodwill that you generate is, is certainly related to the time that you've been in practice uh, and the time that you've, you, you've had to build these relationships. But all of the relationship you've built with your patients, your community, your referral sources, your inherent quality as a therapist to be a problem solver and adapter. Also during these times, uh, I've heard from a lot of therapists tell me that they have seen that their observational skills have really been increased. Their communication skills have really been enhanced. And these are all positives. So I encourage all of everybody to really look at their strengths and embrace them because you're going to need them to get through what's going to happen in the next 30 to 60 days. Obviously, your communication skills. I, I firmly believe that how well you and your team, and you may be a team of one or you may be a team of many, but how well you are all keeping in touch with your patients and your referral sources how well you communicate will translate into how well you're able to engage people. And these will all come to uh, be beneficial as you go through whatever kind of reopening you're having. And I know that every, every practice is unique and every opening is going to be re unique. Every reopening is going to be staggered in the way that best meets the needs of the therapist and of your clientele and of your team. However, I've seen already that the therapists who are communicating most effectively and most often, especially from a reassurance point of view, you know, not only telling people what you're going to do to be safe in your reopening, but also showing them. So therapists are sending out emails, but they're also posting videos and showing them, here's, the, here's how our new office looks. Here's what the new waiting room is going to look like. Here's all the PPE that we're using to keep everybody safe. All of these things, you know, reassure patients and referral sources. And I think also reassure your team and I think will help the next 30 to 60 to 90 days uh, feel a little bit better and maybe move a little bit easier. I know firsthand that COVID has unco uncovered certain opportunities that therapists can capitalize on. And 
while that can sound like you're taking advantage of a pandemic, honestly, you're really not. You're just looking at what the pandemic has uncovered and what opportunities may be there for the greater good, not only of you, but again, of your patients, of your community, and of your, of your team members. A lot of regulations were changed, a lot of contracts were changed during the pandemic, whether it's contracts with state facilities, state entities, the federal government, uh, insurance carriers. And I think what's happening is that a lot of these bureaucratic entities are thinking, well, things worked so well and in some cases they didn't, other cases they didn't, but things work so well with telehealth for certain areas that maybe we should be making this a permanent part of what we do. So for those of you who have been doing telehealth, and I know that a lot of you have, prior to the pandemic, there were many attitudinal and regulatory barriers to telehealth. I mean, we all know it existed beforehand, but there were barriers there. Some of you had already integrated it into your practice, but many had not. And I think now it's really in the mainstream of things. And the question is, is it going to stay? And part of that future, again, to some extent, we can control this future, is how well you're going to try to advocate for making these changes permanent. And I think, if nothing else, most practice owners have learned that having secondary revenue streams in their practice is a good thing beyond a brick and mortar. And telehealth is a perfect opportunity for that. So maybe some of your contracts are going to realize that too. For example, early intervention. Children who had never been seen, so were unserved, or maybe they were underserved because of where they lived, and maybe they were not in uh, an accessible part of town or in a very rural area, and now suddenly you're getting services via telehealth. Well, it stands to reason that EI may say, you know what, we need to make this permanent. So it's up to you to have your eyes and ears open to that so that you could take advantage of it. I see so many positives with telehealth and I hear so many positives about telehealth and that, you know, if you have a brick and mortar, you have a finite piece of real estate where you're treating patients, hopefully you get to capacity and then you have something like a waiting list. Oh, I could fit you in, but not until a week from now or not until two weeks from now. I, I personally cringe when I hear therapists say that because to me, it's not fair to the patient and it's also a loss of revenue for your practice. Telehealth should eliminate that. And that means that maybe you could on an interim basis until you have space in a brick and mortar offer someone a telehealth option. A lot of therapists are now realizing that they could have a permanent hybrid model and have sessions where twice weekly is done in the office and maybe once weekly is done at home through telehealth because a lot of people are seeing the benefits of what they see when they're working with patients through telehealth. And so much of what we do as therapists is helping, and I don't care whether you're peds, adults, it doesn't really matter, but it's really how functional patients and families are, not in our offices, but at home. 
and telehealth gave you a bird's eye view of what home is actually like, what things patients are working with at home, and many of you have had a tremendously positive impact on that uh, and helping your patients because you now have that bird's eye view, literally, and I think that that will continue, and hopefully that will continue, especially if you make it an option. I think the ideas of using telehealth as a way to decrease cancellations, you don't no longer have to worry about snowstorms and things like that in climate weather because here's another option. You don't have to cancel a session. I, one thing for sure that telehealth has done is that it's really engaged more family members. And again, Family education is at the cornerstone of what we do. And this really gave us an opportunity to engage family members that normally would not have been, been engaged. So how could we not think of this as a positive thing? And, and we can thank this pandemic uh, for it. Other things that I think are happening is that overall, for our patients that are continuing to have uh, things like strokes, heart attacks, uh, slips and falls, which may be less, but they're still having, I think there's an overall tendency to say, I'm not so quick to rush my family member to a nursing home or to a short-term rehab facility because they're, they're scared uh, just because of the threat of, of getting COVID in a facility, which means that if they're not going to a facility, maybe they'd be more inclined to come to an office setting, or maybe they'd be more inclined to having therapy at home, to other avenues of resources that you may be able to provide for patients. So I think that for those of you who already have a component of providing services in patients' homes, you're lucky because I think it's now's the time to capitalize on that. And in general, if you don't have one, now may be the time to start it. You know, overall, you know, I see the future as being one where uh, home-based services is really going to increase. I think a lot more patients are going to be eager to age in place as opposed to going to a facility. So, you know, the, these are trends I'd say, let's take advantage of them. The other thing that I see happening is that, you know, you have to take a good look around. I mean, there may be, let's say you have a private practice and it's close to your a local hospital and the local hospital may have had an outpatient facility. Well, some of the outpatient facilities are still closed. Maybe they're open for inpatient only. That's an opportunity. If they're closed, but you're not, well, now's the time to say that we're here to serve the community. However, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't acknowledge that there are some practices that are going to be hit harder by the future of our post-COVID reopenings than others. And, you know, I, I tend to get phone calls from therapists not that are having an easy time, and I don't think anyone's having an easy time, but some people are having a better time. And I tend to get calls from the people that are having a very hard time, and I, I really do need to acknowledge them. There is no doubt that if your practice was in what was called a hot zone or what is becoming a hot zone where you have a lot of cases, it, it's going to be harder for you. 
there's going to be a lot more pressure on you, a lot more decision-making about whether it's safe to open, and if it is safe to open, how should I do it? There are definitely areas in the country where your existing patients who lived in your area may have left. Maybe they left temporarily, but maybe they left permanently. I mean, my, my hometown is New York City, and I know firsthand that a lot of families left New York. You know, maybe they left temporarily, but sometimes when you leave temporarily, you may have an aha moment and say, gee, now I see what it's like to live outside of the city. Do I want to make this a permanent decision? Do I want to make this a permanent move? And it, it's not only in New York that I know this is happening. I know it's happening in other pockets where people may have gone home to be near closer to their nuclear family. And then they realize that maybe this is something we're going to make permanent. That's going to impact a practice. Practices that were not able to, to pivot to telehealth are having a harder time. There's just no doubt about it. And I know firsthand that some practices and the way that they work with patients and the extent that they do manual therapy or the extent that they do hands-on or just the types of patients they treat, it just was not that compatible with telehealth. And for some of you, it may be staff resistance, it may be patient resistance, or this lack of compatibility. And we just have to acknowledge that. I don't think it's worth beating yourself up. Sometimes it just doesn't work and there's nothing we can do about that. Another thing that I think that's happening is that practices that are based solely on people who work in your area are having a very hard time. If you now realize, and you may not have realized it before because you maybe you didn't have to, that patients come to you, A, because you're good, but also because you're in the area where they work. So they want to come to you before work. They want to come to you during lunch. They want to come to you after work. But suddenly they're not at work. And in some necks of the woods, big office buildings are not opening now. They may not open in September. They may not open till 2021. That's going to have a huge impact on practices that now realize if they didn't before that their demographic is surrounded by people, you know, by people who work near them. Or maybe your practice is, is dependent on people who have work-related injuries. And many practices are like that and census is really down. And of course it's down because less people are working. And if less people are working, less people are getting hurt. While that could sound like a good thing because on some level it's good that less people are getting hurt, from a practice point of view, if you deal with uh, workers' injuries, workers' compensation, you know, you're going to have a rough go of it for however long is it going to take to get the uh, people back to work. Practices that are not getting consideration from landlords regarding their rent especially if you're in urban, high-rent areas, that's going to be very, very hard. PPP and other loans will take you thus so far, uh, but it's not a long-term solution. And again, if you're in a high-rent area, 
you know, I'm working with a lot of therapists on trying to get considerations from their landlord, trying to see if they have good guy clauses in their leases, and really trying to get landlords to understand why something like COVID-19 has impacted their practice so significantly, and possibly not just in the short term, but also, you know, potentially in, in the longer term. I think, again, dealing with the uncertainty, some of us do not know yet whether schools are going to reopen. And that's huge because if schools don't reopen, that's going to have a trickle effect down to, you know, if schools don't reopen, are, are the parents of school children going to be able to resume their day-to-day -day routine? And if they're not, that may mean lifestyle choices. And lifestyle choices may impact a practice on a day-to-day -day basis. So again, hopefully, and trying to end on a positive note, I think that everybody has to be realistic about what's occurring in their neck of the woods. This is definitely not a one-size-fits-all, but I have, you know, regardless of whether we have a terrible second quarter of the year, a dismal third quarter, and even a regrettable fourth quarter, you know, I do believe that the inherent value of every practice will still stay intact, especially if you focus on the strengths of your practice and continue to work on the weaknesses. And hopefully we can all pivot through this so that, you know, you could again uh, come out of this on the other side, hopefully a stronger and better practice. So thank you very much and stay tuned for more podcasts.